Last week we started the book of Acts and left off last week uh, with the question. In really in verse 11, they were amazed. It says they were amazed and perplexed at all that had happened. We talk about the languages coming and being able to hear in different languages. And we spoke on that and walked through what it meant for the Holy Spirit to come. And anytime I preach on the Holy Spirit, I, I feel very limited because there's so much. It's the tipping point. <laughs> it's the tipping point of a person's journey in Christ when they begin to be filled and, and to be moved and, to, and everything in their life begin to be seen through the lens of the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life. It changes everything. So I feel a little inadequate being able to try to speak on it, knowing that my attempt is going to fall short, but I ask God's grace and his power to take care of all that, Okay. <laughs> I really do. But one of the questions I left you with last week, and it's the question that's in the Scripture, and it was a great question by those who were in attendance of this unbelievable amazement and perplexing event, as it says. They asked the question, what does this mean? You know, I challenged you, and you may not have remembered it, but I, to wake up every morning and just say, you know, good morning, Holy Spirit. What's, what's today look like? Well, what's, what's, well, what we got on the agenda? And you may not know all of it. And believe me, this week has been one of those weeks. I didn't know what was all on the agenda. However, I came back to this scripture over and over going, what does this mean? See, I believe when we allow the Spirit to work in our lives, we sometimes don't respond well, maybe in a moment, but we will respond well if we ask the question, maybe even after we step away from it, and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, what does this mean? It's a great question. And Peter's response to this is, I am so glad you ask. It's not in Scripture, but I can tell you that's what he was thinking. I'm glad you guys asked why all this happened here. But let's say this first about Peter, and, and believe me, this is, is this huge, even though you might skip over it if you're not careful. Of course, we'll address it in some other messages probably, but Peter's a changed man. Peter's not the same Peter as he was weeks before when he denied Christ three times. Peter's not the same man who said, I will lay down my life for you and didn't realize he was going to run instead. This is a different man. Peter's about to now get up, or he does get up in Scripture here, and with boldness, and it's not just boldness, but it's with authority. You know, boldness without authority is not really sometimes, I really don't know if I'd qualify it as boldness. When you do it in the authority of God and the authority of the Spirit working in you, it has a different deal than you just saying, I have the ability to stand up for this right now. But when you walk on the authority, we talked about this before a little bit in, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get too far off my notes here because I'm about to. But it's like standing at an intersection when the, and when the traffic lights go out and that police officer steps up and there's a big semi coming at 45 or 50 miles an hour, whatever it may be, and he puts his hand up to stop that truck and it stops. It's not because he physically is able to stop that truck. It's 
Why? Because the authority that he represents, it stops. Why is it so critical that you walk not only in boldness, which is more than arrogant or bluntness, just so you know? Not, well, I'm blunt all the time, so I'm bold. That doesn't make you bold. That sometimes can make you intimidating, not bold. Boldness is you speak or act the truth for the common good, even at personal risk. You're willing to step into that moment with boldness for the common good of everybody, even though you may be misunderstood, you may even be persecuted or, in Scripture, in other places, murdered, martyred. But you do it with authority that comes from on high. So it's important. And Peter quotes the Old Testament, and you go, well, why would he go Old Testament? First off, the New Testament's not there yet. That would be the first thing, okay? Just for those of you who don't realize, the New Testament is about to be written, okay? <laughs> it's not there. So he has to go somewhere. But here's the bigger reason why I believe he uses the Old Testament. Because what happened with Jesus coming at that time, at the fullness of time, the Word says is a culmination of history. Jesus coming to earth didn't come in a vacuum. It didn't, wasn't like one day God's going, oh, by the way, I need to stick a Savior in here because these guys are really messed up and I need to put one in there. Look from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's the story of Christ. It's a culmination of events happening. Here Jesus is and what Peter's trying to do is put the dots together is to help that crowd to understand that the dots are connecting. Let me say this about your life and my life. When Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit, let's say the Holy Spirit starts pulling and you realize there is a Christ and you realize there is a Savior that came to die for you and wants to, wants to save you from this, this life and, and there's a Lord to, 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 to serve, when they come, when, when, when you begin to recognize that it didn't happen in a vacuum, it's a culmination of events in your life that have come about where this moment, this time, you now recognize something like you've never recognized it before. But I guarantee you, it wasn't just one day God goes, hey, sick the Holy Spirit on him. Just so you know, in my opinion, the Holy Spirit's been chasing after you all along. It's a culmination of things and places and times. It's not in a vacuum of times and events that come together. And in that moment, you begin to recognize a God that was always there. That loved you always. And because of your, your potentially even bondage or things that have kind of caught you up and paralyzed you, you couldn't see it. But all of a sudden, one day you're awake. So... Peter uses the Old Testament to do this. And, but what I love about the way he, he, he speaks here, and let me go ahead and read it because I'm going to get way off on my note. Let me go ahead and read it. Okay, let me just read it because I'm not. Here we go. <laughs> we'll start in verse 11 now. We hear them, and they're talking about hearing the disciples again from last week, hearing the disciples speaking, and they're Galileans, but the, the people are hearing them in their own language. So we hear them declaring the wonders of, wonders of God. Like I said last week, 
If you just had an evangelistic strategy of just talking about the wonders of God, you'd have a pretty good strategy. Just talk about the wonders of God. But anyway, uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. And Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as as you yourselves know. I love this evangelistic strategy. I'm going to start what things we agree on. We're going to start there. You know this happened amongst you. So, okay, we got that. Okay, everybody good on that? I'm not saying you guys, but he's going, everybody good on that? We're starting there. This is what else you know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and, and you, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Amen and amen. We're going to skip down to verse 32 for the sake of time. You can read this a little later, but here in verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the, the, the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until your enemies are a footstool at your feet. Therefore, all of Israel assured of this. Be assured of this. In other words, therefore, you got to ask the question, What's it there for? Okay, everything that was just said, I'm summing it up here. Therefore, since I've said all this, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus. And you wonder how Peter said this. Did he have his finger out? Did he say it even? Did he go to another? Did he go? What did he do there? These are powerful words, right? God made this Jesus whom you crucified, by the way. Because I'm assuming there's people in the crowd that were there yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And there were other people that sat back and said, I'm not saying anything, so I won't be guilty. Oh, yes, you are. What I love about this is both Lord and Messiah critical we all need a savior right not many of us want a lord when the people heard this they were cut to the heart they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do i bet they didn't say it that calm 
Brother, what shall we do? What do you think, man? I bet it was a little more because they were cut to the heart. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, including Renovation Church. I mean, you could stick that in there, couldn't you? Well, that's what that means. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that is somebody was sitting there counting. We had a pastoral accountability started there. It had to be about 3,000. Give or take six or 700. We don't know. No, we don't know what that was. There's a lot of themes we could camp on here this morning. And there's a couple of them I'm just going to not breeze by, kind of hit and run or anything but just hopefully they'll mean something i want to camp i do want to camp in one area what i love about the way peter goes about this and let me caveat with this luke does not give the whole detail of the sermon here okay we don't we may we just don't know we don't know if this is a 30 or 40 minute sermon a sermon like paul would preach where people fall asleep and fall out windows and die we don't know that we don't know what it is exactly because it's not totally there but what but I'm assuming if, if it's longer, Peter, Luke is just hitting the highlights here, okay? He's giving us the cliff notes of this sermon. But what I love about what Peter does, if you didn't say this, but I, I would say he probably didn't. He didn't say, hey, guys, look, did you, let me tell you about the wind that was in the room. This mighty rushing wind. Man, it came out of nowhere like a cyclone. Man, let me tell you about these these tongues of fire that were coming down on us, man, it was, it, it was wild, man. We, were, we didn't know. We could feel the heat. We couldn't feel the heat. You know, I, I was touching it, and I couldn't feel I wasn't getting burned. I, I don't know what he was saying. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, man, alive. Wouldn't it awesome that we as Galileans, which people, most people don't think anything even good comes out of Galilee, matter of fact, we were speaking, and every one of you heard it in your native tongue. Wasn't that awesome? He didn't say anything about that, did he? Not one word. Because the main point at the first of this message I believe Peter wanted to say was it's not about the manifestations because they can come and go and they can be different things at different times. But what is important is that God Almighty poured out His Spirit on all people. There should have been more amens there. And I'm not a guy you know to try to drag amens out of people. But I'm going to tell you right now, what is important is and what's so significant is, is that you today have access to an almighty God who is going to pour out his spirit on you. That is a big deal. doesn't matter what the manifestation is. It can be all kinds of different things. And it could be attributed to God. Some may not. I don't know all that. But what I will say is this. The main thing here is poured out on all of us. You don't think that's not revolutionary in that culture? You no longer had to be a prophet. You no longer had to be a rabbi. You could be a slave. You didn't have to be wealthy. Your sons and, oh, by the way, your daughters, no, your daughters, men and women,
The Apostle Paul later, later teaches in 1 Corinthians 12, by one spirit we are baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. The Christian church was the first institution in history to bring together on equal footing Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women. Paul talks about in Galatians, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. One of the things I love about being a part of the Nazarene church and, the whole, and, and its holiness movement, and by the way, the Church of the Nazarene is at General Assembly. Every four years, the world comes together inside the Church of the Nazarene. They are in uh, Indianapolis this morning. They've probably already done their service, but I've been praying for them this morning. And I mean, all 160-something world places, they're coming in and just a, a movement of God inside of that uh, dome there in, uh, in uh, Indianapolis. But I'm just so proud, and I think a good way, I hope I'm using the term right here, that I'm a part of a church from its beginning, from its day one, recognize the spiritual equality of women. And you say, other churches don't do that? Go ask other, some of the other churches. I'm not slamming them. They can interpret Scripture how they want to. I'll work side by side with them, either if they believe it's not true, if they believe we're wrong in that. Well, I'll work side by side with them, but I'll tell you this. We do believe it. We believe we can back it up scripturally. If you can't back it up scripturally, you're in trouble. Some of our earliest preachers and evangelists of the holiness movement were women. Some of the greatest impacts... Of, of missionary work were women. I'm not just trying to harp on that. I just want you to know that God changed. He was revolutionary. This day was revolutionary. We believe the Old and New Testament recognizes women. Not just the New Testament, but Old Testament, you can find it too. I will agree, though, with my brothers and sisters who may agree in this sense, but I won't agree with them fully, but I will agree with them. There are scriptures that contextually might limit women's leadership in certain circumstances based on the contextual customs of that moment. If some of our ladies was to, were to go to some places around the world who believe that women have no rights, it would make no sense to try to drive your way in there and try to disrupt that. It would make no sense. So you do what we call in the, in the, spiritual, in, in the gifts of the Spirit, I mean the fruits of the Spirit is called forbearance. In other words, you give up your right to be right. We struggle with that, don't we? We all struggle with that, but there are times contextually that you would say, okay, this doesn't work here because it's not allowing the kingdom to move forward. It's actually a stumbling block that's too big to overcome. But let me caveat this part of it or say this. Be sure you understand we believe it is society, contextually, that oppresses women. Not Christ, not Scripture, not the church. On all people. That's good news, folks. Christ just didn't die for your sins that we'll get into here in a moment. This may be a three-hour sermon. I'm in trouble here. Christ didn't just die for your sins, which he did 
to give you new life, he's going to empower you to live it out. But there is a pathway to get there, and most many don't want to go through it to get to it. We're going to talk about that. Because before, they're asking the question, right? The, 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 the people, the crowd's asking, or somebody's asking the question there, I don't know who the crowd's spokesman were, but anyway, they're asking this question, and it says, what does it mean? Now what's the question? Brothers, what shall we do? That's a great question. You just told me what it means. Now you've got to give me a pathway to figure out how to get there. You've got to give me some instruction because this is all new to me. You've got to help me, man. Well, what do we do now? Peter. Doesn't hesitate for a moment, I would not think, because he's already bold and he's standing in front of him and he's got the authority of God and he goes, Repent! And as you'll remember in Scripture, repentance is not a new thing. I mean, John went around saying repent and be baptized, but he had a different type of, of baptism that's about, you know, his was of water, but this is coming different. They had heard it. You know, Jesus went around preaching repentance. You know, it's interesting in Scripture, first sermons, Jesus' first sermon was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what was revolutionary about that statement is, is the kingdom of God was personal. Before it was a collective nation. And we brought sacrifices and we brought these. No, all of a sudden now it's personal. It's not ethnicity. It's not heritage. It's not by osmosis. Or simply trying to live a better life till next year or next Sunday. It required repentance and spiritual rebirth. Jesus in Luke chapter 24, it's recorded Jesus speaking. It's in verse 46 is, He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Check. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Check. I remember my first sermon. Ten months after accepting Christ as my Savior, I preached my first sermon. Those people were idiots. <laughs> they were crazy. I mean, idiot. I mean, ignorant. I don't know what the right word. I, I, they were good people. I'm just saying. I didn't know what the first book of the Bible was 10 months before. And I'm preaching my first sermon 10 months later with no mentoring, no training, no nothing except puking for a couple of weeks in advance. Those kind of things. Puked right before I went up front. All that kind of stuff. They allowed me to preach. It made no sense. I would if you get if you if you if I you came with my story. I ain't letting you preach. I'm mean, not just. I'm not letting you do it. But I did a Sunday night there, and yeah, and I preached on Romans chapter ten. I'm looking through it, and because I was reading the scripture, the one thing they knew about me as soon as I gave my life to Christ, I buried myself in the Word. Man, I read the Word. There's no telling how many times I read the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. I, just, I was just so absorbed. It's like a sponge, man. And it was changing me quickly. 
Because people ask me, he said, how did you grow so fast in your faith? And all I know is, when I read it, and I believe God said it, I tried to do it. I'm a pretty simple guy. If I'm going to be all, if this is true, I'm going to try to live into it. If it's not, then let's go do something else. Now, I've said this before. In that 10 months, I've led people to Christ, multiple people to Christ, but I probably messed them all up theologically because I was making it up as I went. Because I didn't have anybody training me. No, nobody. Except the Holy Spirit. Jan was annoyed I was even called to preach, so she wasn't helping me. (laughs) She did not like it at all. She was no help. But let me read the passage I, I preached that night. And let me say this. It's supposed to be, I figured it'd be a 30, 35-minute sermon. It's like 12 minutes. And, uh, and what was funny was, I was people were leaving the church going, man, we like you preaching. We really like you preaching. Go, yeah, no, whatever. I thought they'd give me compliments until I reflected on it and realized that was not near a compliment as I thought it was. The Romans 10, 18 through, 8 through 15. But what does it say? For some of you this morning, these are your words. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, that is. The message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, these are powerful words. You will be saved. For it is with your heart. We're talking about soul urgent, the depths of who you are, the best thing that you, all your recollection, your memories and everything. It is with that part of you and your will is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says, anyone believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved how then how then can they call on the one who is who they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one who have they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can anyone preach unless they are sent as is risen as is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news I see Jimmy Dale back there, a dear, dear friend of ours, one of my best encouragers, greatest encouragers here. But he travels this world uh, as an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. His, I have never seen your feet, Jimmy. I've never seen them, and I don't really care to, actually. But let me say this, your feet are beautiful. Because you're carrying the word, the gospel, that is changing people's lives. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. One young man gave his life to Christ that night. So it proves a lot of things. It has nothing to do with the preaching. <laughs> it has everything with God's Holy Spirit working in people's lives. And his word not returning void. We try our best. Try our best. <laughs> See, Peter, back to Peter here real quick, and we've got to get going. Peter doesn't spend any time trying to win people over by telling them how great they are. He doesn't say, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. Because Peter knew the urgency of the message. 
He knew we lived in a fallen, we live in a fallen world. And, that, and the life that Christ calls us to is a radical regeneration and transformation, and it can't be soft-souled. If you're living the way most of the people around you are living, you're probably on the wrong track in the world we live in today. I don't mean we're just trying to be different to be different. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying there yet, at all. But if you're in the same conversations and you're thinking the same way and everything, you might want to just reevaluate. And the same things are coming out of your mouth and the same things you're listening to and seeing and the way you look at people and all the... Well, you, go to, you just might want to look at it. I'm just encouraging you to look at it. Is Peter being too harsh? Because he's pointing out people's sin. Now, I don't know how many p- pastors on a Sunday morning go... You killed Jesus. I mean, I don't know how many people do that. I don't know how effective that would be. But, uh, yeah, I probably won't try it anytime soon. But, I mean, you sure there's got to be a committee somewhere going, hey, he's going to turn people off. He's just way too harsh about this thing. Maybe he should say something positive, like Jesus loves them. And he does. We could have had more than 3,000 if he had just went a little easier on these people. Let's be clear. From the beginning of the book of Acts to the end, repentance was the central appeal of the apostolic message. It never changes. And the repentance they preach was not merely a change of mind going, oh, yeah, I now believe in Jesus. No, that's not what that was. That's part of it. But it was turning from their sin, turning towards the Lord Jesus. And it's the kind of repentance that that results in the behavioral change of a person. Not just the things you do, but the way you think. The way you love people, the way you see the world around you. The eyes you see with are now different. The ears you hear with are now different. The tongue you speak is now different. The heart you love with in the sense of that is now different and continues to be different and continues to be changed over time till we see Jesus face to face. The Apostle Paul didn't slow down on it. In Acts 17, and somebody may preach on it later on, but... In the past, and he's talking to the pagan philosophers in Athens, and he says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commends all people everywhere to repent. Jesus started the repentance thing, and he just carries forward. And there are many in our culture and church world today that would say, you know what, argue that repentance has no place in salvation. They just need to believe in Jesus, and that Jesus loves them, and they're okay, and he's okay, and everybody's okay. But I believe repentance and salvation of faith are one coin but two sides of it. You can't have one without the other. And I love in verse 37 that that, that, uh, Luke includes this as he's writing. He says, they were cut to the heart. It means like if you're going along and somebody stings you with a cattle prod, you're going to know something just happened. It's like, oh, they stunned you like a stun gun. That's what that means. 
It's not some just casual, oh, it's just a kind of flowery morning and there was a movement. and there was, No, it stung. It stunned me. Some of us work real hard to stay away from that stinging. It's called hardening of the heart. And I'll say this to you, when the Holy Spirit quits stunning you and stinging you, that, in my opinion, is a really place to be concerned in your life. When the Holy Spirit no longer convicts you, and the Holy Spirit no longer is after you, and the Holy Spirit no longer bothering you, and that includes being a Christian or somewhere before that. The word says that God disciplines those that he loves that are his children. That they would be zealous to repent. Zealous. Not just like, oh, yeah, that came across. No, zealous. That's the word. I'm not coming here today to preach some other. I'm preaching the word of God in the sense of what this means in our lives. It is our final choice whether to do anything with that response when it stings. No question. But it is the spirit that brings it to us. We can't conjure up this. I can't make it. I can't preach fast enough or use flowery enough words as if I had any. Or be funny enough or do anything else to get you to the point. It is only the spirit that can bring you there. And it is only you that can make the decision of what to do with it. Not your mama. Nobody else, not your friends, they go to church, you like hanging out with them, it is you. That's the reason why it's revolutionary, it was personal. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, that's Jesus' words. It's going to be one of the big things today I know in, is it repentance involves a sense of guilt and we hate to make anyone feel guilty anymore but I don't know how to get there without going through that we're actually trying to obtain a a place whether in the church or in our culture where people just don't feel guilt so what we do is we blame this human thing we're working through we blame it on other people we just deflect it we move it to other people and if we're not careful through all this we build in all kinds of excuses and What's the best way we can do out of it now is we're all just casualties or we're victims. We've, we've been victimized, and so that's why. And let me say this right here before you go. You know, we're day and age of sound bites, and I know you can take something and sound bite it from me or whoever and hold it against me. Let me say this. I know there's real victims in our culture and real victims even in this room. But that is different than what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that now we are trying to move everybody to victimization, and that way they have an excuse not to deal with the real truth in their life. I know there's real victims. I get that. But even at that, there's still victory available. But they may have a different process they have to go through, allowing God to work through all that and forgiveness and all those other things. But for some of us, most of us, I'd say maybe even most of us, it's easier just to blame than to deal with it. So what happens when you do that? You take the word sin out of our language, even inside the church. We take repentance out. We take contrition. We take atonement. We take restitution. We take redemption out of, out of, the, out of the conversation. And if sin is not real, then we don't need a savior. We just need a good psychologist or a life coach. 
So anyone who can escape responsibility for his or her wrongdoing simply by claiming the status of a victim, it it has radically changed the way we see our world. It It has changed our society in a way you can't even wrap your mind around. You know it and I know it. Like Peter, like Peter did. Let's start from things we agree on. I think we all agree that that's changed who we are as a people over the last 50 years. And I know, and I've been guilty of it, I just use the term brokenness. There's just a lot of brokenness. And I think there is that. I believe there is that. But sometimes if you use that too much, it softens the fact that there is sin in your life and you need to repent from it and there needs to be some guilt attached to it. you can't even understand the gospel without sin, without understanding. You just can't. Guess what Jesus' name means? God saves. If we don't have sin, we don't need Jesus. Period. And if you remove that out of your conversation with people, if you remove that out of your life, if you remove that, then you don't need a Savior. You just need a psychologist, you need a life coach, you need that. And you may still need some of those things later on. I'm not discounting that. All I'm saying is, if that is the issue, if repentance, guilt, regeneration, all that is the pathway, and we're calling it something else, we are, we, we, we're, we're taking people and just allowing them to stay in bondage. Just let's suppose. The answer to all this is repentance. Wow. I mean, just suppose and assume for a minute that many of the problems, maybe most of the problems, not all, but maybe most of the circumstances and problems we have in our life are sin rather than sickness, even though that's a sickness. The only true remedy involves humble repentance. Confession, restitution even possibly, and forgiveness. Let me tell you another reason why I think people begin to repent and confess. Many times we talk about, and I've talked about in different settings, where your awe meter is, A-W-E. When you stay in awe of an almighty God, it makes it real easy to repent. Because you see his goodness all around you. And you wouldn't want to do anything that convolutes that or muddies that. And man, when God brings something, man, you're just going to go, thank you, God. I mean, Scripture says, uh, in Romans 2, 4, Paul says, Or do you despise the riches of goodness, forbearance, and long-serving? No, and not, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God. Now, now we just flipped it. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Acts 3, repent. Repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know what the word refreshing means? It means a person is dying and they're revived. Air comes into their lungs. That's literally what that means. 
This God who loves you, who started this thing, spun it into action, loves you so much, he uses repentance and guilt through the power of the Holy Spirit to draw you. And what I love about this, they are seeing this as good news. See, they were not saying guilty, guilty condemnation. They were saying pathway, pathway to freedom. They were not saying condemnation, condemnation, legalism, legalism, condemnation, legalism, condemnation, legalism. They're saying the pathway to life Zoe is this way. Real life available through Christ Jesus who said, come, all who are weary, all who are burdened. But it's only the spirit that can penetrate and sting or stun a man or a woman. It's only through the Spirit that you can come face to face with the truth that you are who the Word says you are. We're all without, none of us confess, can say we're without sin. All. And let me say this to people who've been believers for years. Repentance continues to the day you see Jesus face to face. This is not a one-time check box. It's from now on. That you're bringing this and you're repenting and you're asking for forgiveness in areas that you know you got off just a little bit. Maybe a lot. I love what Oswald Chambers says, and I think we may have that quote. Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. When the Holy Spirit rouses the conscience and brings him into the presence of God. It, it is not his relationship with men that bothers him. But it's his relationship with God. See, I believe repentance re- prepares the soul to be ignited. Think of that picture. That you have a life you didn't know you could have had. And repentance prepares the ground, the tills the ground for this ignition. And then the wind comes along and all of a sudden this fire is burning. And the wind comes along and blows that thing. And what happens when wind hits it? It just continues to explode. But Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, what does he say? Nicodemus, do you hear the wind? The wind blows where it blows, Nicodemus. And it blows how it blows. It may be a manifestation of this or that. It may be in that circumstance you find God. It may be in the mountaintop you find God. The wind blows where it blows. But those who are of God understand it does that. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, Jesus says. I love this from C.S. Lewis. I'm going to ask Guys, come on down as we close. This quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Surprised by Joy. 
talking about his conversion. He said, I was dri- driven to Whipsnade, I think is what it is. I, I may be butchering that. A zoo in London one sunny morning. He said, when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought nor in a great emotion. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. I love that. One moment you don't see, one moment your soul has been asleep, and in the next moment it's as if you're awakened to things you didn't even know existed. There was a whole, like I said last week, there was a whole different world going on around you you didn't even know. There was a connection of spirit to spirit, and people might not even have to say a word. Peter concludes his message. Let all house of Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both. Key word in this passage because he concludes it with this. Both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. The reason I'm a part of a holiness denomination or the theology because it's, I believe we've got to teach both of them. And that lordship will take you wherever. Salvation may get you to heaven and keep you kind of, in this sense, keep you just kind of wrestling around with sin and managing it for the rest of your life. But lordship's different. When you come and you lay it all down and you consecrate your life to him and say, because Jesus says, you keep saying, Lord, Lord. And I go, if I'm Lord, Lord, why do you not do what I say? That's scriptural. That's Jesus. That's not me making it up. Because when the Spirit comes to to move, the Spirit comes to stir, when He comes. I've heard this years ago, and I'm trying trying to manipulate you here because it's going to sound like it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience ultimately is disobedience. But you call me Lord, Lord. But you do not what I say. I ask you to stand with me. passage of scripture we use here at Renovation 1 Thessalonians 1 5 and we talk of 1 Thessalonians 1 is where we get our mission statement but 1 5 says by the power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction the people were changed it's not just the power of the Holy Spirit and having access it's deep conviction of what it can do in your life for some of you who you're here today the wind is blown and you know it you know it. Whether it's in this preaching here, I'm not saying it's because of anything I did or, or the music we sang earlier. I'm saying it's been stirring in you. Because when it says it blows where it blows, that means it's going to blow on the ball field and in the gymnasium. It's going to blow at your workplace. It's going to blow when, when you're at the club. It's going to blow wherever it is. It's going to blow. And I can tell you, it'll blow at the club as much as it'll blow in, a, in an altar. And you'll know it. 
because there's no reason for you to be thinking about it in that moment. <laughs> right? No reason. They can come to you wherever. But today, we're going to give you an opportunity to come to these altars, to pray. I believe there are people in this room who will come around you. If they're not here praying for them, for what God's doing in their life, they will come and pray with you. If you don't want that, that's fine too. Just, you don't have to say anything if they ask you. Just, just pray to lay it down. Begin to lay it down. You know, I, I, Craig Rochelle just this box. We just got to go lay it down. We got to let it down. Put it down. You got to get, you, you're tired of carrying it and you know it. You're tired of carrying it. It's years of carrying it. And it's time to lay it down. But it's repentance is the pathway, I believe. You've got to repent of what you know doesn't line up with an almighty God. I don't care how you've justified it in your mind. Or even who psychologist that says, yeah, I know God said that, but you, I, God has the last word. You do what you're supposed to do, but you just ask God about it. You got to do what you got to do. But he has the last word. glad God works through all things and all people and those kind of things but he still has the last word so as they lead us in a song Lord across this room Lord I pray right now that your spirit is, is, is not just moving we know that part we, we, we came we prayed over this place we know Lord that you are present and you're stirring Lord I know that I just know it this morning but Lord it is only you that can awaken us it's only you that can stun us through the Spirit. But it is our choice of what we do with that. And I pray this morning, Lord, that they choose, as those 3,000 did on that day, to repent and find the pathway to freedom. We pray this in your name, Jesus. You come as you feel led this morning. God bless you.